Hi, my name is Jameson. Welcome to the Unexpected Experts Podcast, a show where we dive into the vast spectrum of human knowledge and the ways that our experiences make us experts in unexpected ways. Thanks so much for listening. Well, welcome to another episode of Unexpected Experts, everybody. Um, We are here with uh, a friend of mine and one of my pastors and uh, pastor of the local church here in Calgary Commons Church, um, or one of the pastors on staff. Uh, We're here with Scott Wall. Uh, Scott, how are you doing tonight, man? Hello. Hello. I'm doing great. (laughs) Yeah, happy, happy that this worked out. We can sit and chat for a bit yeah we've been andrew and i have been talking about this for a little while already like having you on and so we're we're stoked that um yeah we can make this work and that we can just hang out for the next hour or so and chat about um our topic on this little mini series that we're doing on church hurt right now so Mm -hmm. um maybe we'll start with just like who (laughs) yeah just this you know lice nice light little topic of well i was also going to say it's it's always interesting when you work at a church and then people like want to bring you in to talk about the issues they have it's like (laughs) you know walking is it eggshells am i is this super thin ice super excited to get into it (laughs) it's like working at a restaurant and bringing in a food critic like (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, yeah. okay. I mean, maybe Speak a little yourself, different. Like, similar, similar vibe. Similar vibe. I'm not here to critique. Yeah, we're like a food critics podcast, but they bring in restaurant owners or something like that. That's kind of a. That's wow. that's that's our it's next. Like that's the next inception. podcast. Unexpected okay. restaurant owners and food critics. Anyway, I uh, <laughs> wish you luck on your endeavors. Uh, there we go. It's a very niche market, but someone's got to tap that. <laughs> no well, kidding. You know? <laughs> no kidding. Uh, oh, so maybe the the first question that we ask everybody is, "What is your superhero origin story?" And that just means like, mm-hmm. what's you know, what's a little bit about you as a person, who you who you are, what you want people to know about the things that make you you and um, He's getting maybe serious. He just pumped his rot. chair down. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was a two point drop right. down right there. Yeah, the the things uh, that brought you in your life to the place that you are. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, I think as far as superheroes go, um, yeah, I'd have a pretty vanilla uh, backstory. Um, yeah. Sort I mean, of grew up superheroes. In... Oh, I don't know that there's such thing, but no. Know. But hold on, hold You're on. Good. I was going to qualify. <laughs> uh, let let me let me spin a narrative. <laughs> All right, um, All right. Sing no, us no, a song. No. You're the piano um, man. St- <laughs> oh my gosh. S- stable, stable family. Um, lots of support. Um, um, I think what's funny about superheroes is like, they're always like troubled maybe in a way that you don't always see up front, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm, I am, I mean, this isn't therapy, right? So that's not what I'm going to talk about. Um, I think <laughs> I feel, a little bit, feel like if you, the more you got to know me, or at least maybe if you knew me 10, 15 years ago, um, I had some like Hulk tendencies. So like, I look like a guy 
that wears a suit and can be super normal. And then mm. uh, right, yeah. I might, ex- I might explode for reasons that you don't fully understand. Um, <laughs> that's one of the great joys of like aging a little bit and doing some work. Um, so that if you've watched the Hulk, the Hulk doesn't like hurting the people in his life. Um, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So in terms of, uh, I don't know what else do you want me to say? I, I mean, have you guys done Enneagram work before? Like, Jameson is yeah. obsessed with it. Yeah, okay. I'm a I'm an Enneagram nerd. Not lately, but yeah, I, I'm quite familiar for sure. Okay, so um, I'm an Enneagram one. Um, so, which, I, and the only reason I'm mentioning that is is in line with this. The the way I sort of live in the world is I I see everything that's wrong with it. Mm. Um, and I want to try to make it better. Um, but my way to do that is I see everything that's wrong with me first and I try to make myself perfect. Um, which means that lots of the, like my superhero backstory, um, there we go. I'm like, yeah, uh, would lots of collateral damage when I was trying to be a perfectionist. So, um, yeah, I. Uh, I mean, how much do you want to know? How how far back do you want me to go? You want? I mean, I'll just say I was like uh, like a professional student for a long time. So, Ooh, nice. um, pursued um, pursued an academic career, sort of in my mid twenties into my thirties. Um, and you know, if you're a borderline perfectionist. Um, that's a good place to like live and work because there are measurables and you get rewarded for totally. Um, for, yeah. Totally. Yeah. For, for showing up and performing and uh, adhering to the restrictions and the rules. Um, actually just side note, I just sent, uh, sent my mom a note here the other day. I'd, I saw this meme where it was like, um, Oh, oh, you think I'm well-behaved. Well, that's maybe because I spent all, my entire childhood uh, thinking that an apocalypse was going to happen, that Jesus was coming uh-huh. back and I was going to end up in hell or something mm-hmm. like that. Effect. Yeah. And I just yeah. sent it to her totally. without any explanation. And she responded with uh, like a concerned, like, is that actually true? Like, <laughs> like yeah, I think, I think Jesus was, yeah. uh, or the, the fear of Jesus's return was like, it certainly was a behavioral modification tool. A hundred percent. So mm. Interesting. anyway, um, I mean, I just condensed, yeah, spent, spent about 10 years in the Academy. So teaching undergrad and nice. uh, doing research. And then, um, about seven years ago, it's a whole long story, but ended up sort of switching careers and joining Commons Church here in Calgary. Um, I'd always been a, or I'd been part of faith communities, um, but I sort of didn't ever think I could work in one. Especially after being in the academy, I didn't think that there was a community right. that where I where I'd be able to be curious in the ways that I had come mm. to be curious, and I didn't think there was a place where I could say the things that I felt I needed to say. Which sounds selfish, but I think. Um, to stand at the center of a community and sort of like try to gather people around ideas. Like if you can't say the things that you, you really do believe, then, then maybe you should do something else. Um, right. Right. So yeah. anyway, that, I don't know if that's broad strokes enough, but that's some that's of, that's great. some of how I'm here. That's some of how I come to meet you. So yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think cool. that's good. Um, It's interesting. Like the, what you were saying there about the 
the like end times teaching and the end times anxiety and like Jesus is coming back and like how that kind of shaped the way that you see the world. Like that's, that's a very, that that's something that I'm becoming more familiar with just in the media that I consume and like the podcasts that I listen to. Um, like one mm-hmm. of my favorite podcasts that I support on Patreon is you have permission um, with Dan Coke. Okay. And he he had a lot of that same end times anxiety growing up in his church. And he would wake up at night with like vivid dreams. And he had all kinds of like almost like borderline panic attacks about this kind of stuff, like Jesus coming back. And I remember for myself too, like growing up and imagining or like, like having dreams of myself being in hell. And that mm-hmm. I was like separated from family and separated from God and all the things that I was taught in church. And that became a very real fear for me growing up too. Um, wow. And the way that, and I guess this is already kind of touching on the church hurt theme that, that we're going for with this mini series is that theology has the power to harm people and it has the power to shape mm-hmm. people's realities in such a way that they get anxiety and they maybe develop depression symptoms and they don't know how to relate to their peers and they walk Mm -hmm. around with heaps of shame on their back that they don't know how to address until later on in adulthood with therapy and professional counseling you know the list goes on um right so i don't know if if that makes you think of anything but um, there's a few other things that I'm thinking of in there too, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, immediately, I mean, I, have actually spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, basically when, when the church or, or yeah, historically, I think you can look at the church when the church has done harm through its sort of theological structures. Um, like I tend to think of that as sort of like a failure of imagination. Mm. Um, mm. and, and by that, I like it maybe to give you a bit of a frame for this, it's like a, um, just a quick story. Uh, this is a number of years ago. I was talking with my uh, brother-in-law. He's telling me about uh, my niece. And uh, they were reading her um, uh, like a storybook Bible. Um, and the storybook Bible was talking about... Um, like sort of in heaven, all of these like biblical characters are going to be there. Like Peter's going to be there and Paul's going to be there right. and David's going to yeah. be there. And Moses is going to be there. And my niece just started like freaking out and crying and like, well, what's going on? Well, my niece doesn't like strange men. <laughs> and so for her seven-year-old imagination, heaven was the last place that she wanted to go. Oh, with wow. that being the frame, which just gave me a, it, that's like a great snapshot of how um, oftentimes uh, the things that we are afraid of, um, those are conditioned by our environment. Uh, lots of our fear is actually socially conditioned. Um, right. And so when, when not all fear, like we, sometimes we have, you know, if you experience trauma, you're going to have rightful fear. And there's some fear that's actually legitimate as a safekeeping, but um, when it comes to you know, religion or certainly we'll just talk about the Christian tradition because that's the one I'm participating in, where, where the church has gone awry is when we have shaped people's imaginations with ideas that are actually quite harmful. And mm-hmm. we've given people an imagination based on interpreting the way we interpret texts. Um, 
And that's not to say that texts are always easy or that all texts um, or yeah, that texts don't sometimes so like have a point or an edge to them. Mm-hmm. I think that's certainly true. But right, yeah. um, I do think that, you know, in my experience, um, I mean, I, gr- I was growing up in the 80s and 90s uh, as millennial sort of apocalypticism was sort of coming to a head. Um, what's interesting, if you, if you want to go and look, you can actually, you can go back a thousand years to where the first millennia was turning and there was all kinds of crazy, fearful fervor at that same time. So like when you realize that these things are, um, cyclical or that they're a function of sort of human meaning making, that's why I, I sort of say, well, you know, if other people like yourself are having those kinds of experiences, that's. If, if and when we come to a place where we can shape people's imaginations, we should maybe take that mm. job very seriously. And we should yeah. think about, yeah. um, is, is fear the, the, the tool or the mode by which I want to motivate people to stay in mm. or, or to choose this tradition? And, and I mean, I would argue um, that lots of the hurt that maybe people experience, it's been born out of being in places where, I mean, I mean, they may have suffered um, trauma or abuse. That's not necessarily rooted in fear, but in situations where there's control or manipulation mm. um, or, yeah, or even just like really scary ideas. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I've sort of, and there's, there's lots written about that. So like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not out on, on a limb there. So, but that's sort of one of the things I just sort of, I was thinking about as you said that. Yeah. Well, even, even teaching people or teaching kids at a young age, age appropriate theology, like stuff that they are able to handle and understand. And like, maybe don't start with total depravity as a doctrine for a three-year-old, you know, maybe, maybe introduce. Was that your experience? Oh, for sure. Really? Okay. Like, yeah, I grew up in like five point Calvinism, tulip theology and like, yeah, that you're broken and depraved and sinful and completely worthless, save for the grace of God. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think that kind of theology is appropriate for kids to learn or be taught at a young age. Maybe when they get older. Sure. But there's, there's age appropriate theologies that you know, just shouldn't be discussed yet. Like elaborate yeah. more on the grace of God and the love and the acceptance, and then maybe get into the nuance of other theological interpretations after that. But anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, dig- also I think one of the things you're mentioning there is, is a feature of sort of the niches that we grow up in. Right. So totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like even even that language of depravity, that's not that's not language I was ever exposed to. Um, I think that's actually quite unique to um, reformed um, meaning making. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. not all not all Christian, you know, lots of other Christian people may have been hurt by notions of, um, or may have yeah they may have been hurt by ideas or by imagination of sin that sort of left them feeling ashamed, but they wouldn't have had that word to describe it. Mm. Um, and that's, that's an important thing to sort of distinguish is that not everybody gets the same. Um, we don't all get the same version and, and not all hurt is sort of like, it doesn't all derive from the same place. Mm. Um, totally. That's why yeah. I, that idea of yeah. like imagination is really helpful for me because I can I can take responsibility for the for my own. I can't always control what other people are doing, but what I can do is like what kind of imagination am I using? 
Mm. Um, and to your point, I mean, I think you may know this about our faith community, but we do use this approach. We, we, we would sort of say that much of the scripture, certainly the Hebrew Bible, um, it's not that it should like, you know, PG 13 ratings or it's actually some of it's like atrocious. Um, (laughs) A better way to think of it is that we should, we shouldn't use this as our, what's that? There's some R-rated stuff in there, for sure. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But we should maybe, we should just use some care. Um, yeah. It, and and not because children don't have the capacity to to reason. Um, I think there's, there's plenty of literary studies that sort of point to children's capacity at certain levels to, like, understand some nuance. Also, different cultures train children in different ways to be able to identify mm. those things, so... Um, that's an interesting sort of um, thing that I think most church leaders should maybe, you know, be exposed to. If you're being trained, just sort of think about, we should maybe teach certain stories at certain times. And we might, we might actually um, save ourselves some of the hurt that's caused. Mm. Yeah. When you hear the term church hurt, like what comes up for you as somebody that's employed by a church, by a faith community? Um, (laughs) What what does that bring up for you? Maybe in experiences that you've had with conversations with people or maybe in your own life or um, hearing stories of the broader church community, maybe Mm -hmm. recently or throughout history, like what, what does that word or that phrase bring up for you? Well, certainly one of the, um, so one of my disciplines or areas of training is in history. Um, and so, yeah, certainly I, one of the things I, I, I think that if you're going to be part of this tradition, you do, it, it is sort of, you're, you need to be responsible to be aware of the ways in which the tradition has sort of unfolded, um, not just in your own, the, you know, our sphere here in the West, Mm. Um, but to understand, like, even, even if you just understand the last hundred years, um, so for instance, understanding missionary movements that were part of the colonial project in various places around the globe, um, and how those things, you know, did cause some harm. Like, I, I just think that's an important, um, mm-hmm. it's important sort of humbling practice to realize that, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe our tradition, um, in our, in our pursuit of, um, yeah, bringing, bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the, the earth. Maybe we haven't always gotten that right because we haven't served people. Um, so that's one of the things that like historically I know um, that I participate in a movement um, that has caused a lot of pain. And so mm-hmm. right now, I just think there's no, I, I imagine that that's not unique though to church uh, people who work in churches. I imagine that lots of people who, uh, for instance, work for large corporations, whether, you know, they might, um, they sure. might have, yeah. they might have some self-awareness and they may be aware, uh, like whether or not they're allowed to, you know, become a whistleblower or whether or not they feel like they have agency is, uh, to affect change in what's happening in the company's mm-hmm. use of certain land or how it, how it uh, extracts labor from, 
mm-hmm. from certain parts of the world. Like those are all things that I, I'm convinced that people who work in large movements or organizations, like and there's human beings walking around in the world thinking those thoughts. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. What might be unique? I'm just trying to think about my own experience. I mean, w- w- um, I think what might be unique for for at least for me because of where I work here at Commons, we we do. We do sort of position ourselves, but we also, whether we, is it chicken or egg? Do we position ourselves as sort of um, the last stop out of town? You know, if you're saying, I don't know if I want to have anything to do with this tradition, we we do want to be the kind of community that um, by just committing ourselves to intellectual honesty and spiritual passion and sort of really strong Christology, we want, we want to be a version of this tradition that the person who has good reason to hate it Mm. um Mm. like we want to we want to aspire to be healthy and we want to aspire to be um integrated and open and um like we we've we sort of structured ourselves and i sort of we still continue to live into those things as aspirations like how can we how can we prevent the kinds of hurts that the tradition has enacted on people around us. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think if you were to, if you were to talk to, um, to some of the people on our team, like the people who work here, you'd, you'd find stories of profound wounding. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's not a huge part of my story, but I'm also, you know, I mean, I already talked about how I have this perfectionist bent. And I'm also, you know, six plus feet tall and an athlete and male and like to talk a lot. And so <laughs> those are the kinds of people that the church historically is like, ah, that, you know, that's what we're right. trying to model ourselves yeah. on. Yeah. So, so that's that's another sort of angle for this that, you know, my, I, I don't carry a lot of baggage personally but i do spend a lot of people or a lot of time with people who do um does that make sense i don't spend a lot of people that'd be weird but um, (laughs) i I spend lots of time uh i don't know like every week for sure i I meet with someone who's working through Mm. um either something that's current like i'm trying to reconcile myself to the tradition sure um based on something that i can see is wrong like even something as simple as um, I'm from a church that's actively supporting Israeli response mm. in, in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, yeah, I spend, spend lots of time in conversation with people trying to like work it out. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think that, oh, maybe another angle then is, is to not assume that our church hasn't caused harm too. Like, I think that, like, that would be, Mm. that would be erroneous to sort of think that or feel that way. So the goal is also say in my work is to do our best to, um, open ourselves up to critique and open ourselves up to honest conversations about how we may have failed people. Um, yeah, I, I open ourselves up to situations where maybe somebody feels as though the systems and structures of our community are exclusive in any way. Like those are all things that we have to do on purpose and we can't 
ever stop doing them. So mm. when you sort of use that phrase, it seems to me um, like any, any Christian leader should be walking around in the world being honest about the, the harm that's been done, that there are yeah. people that they walk into Walmart with that the, that their that their brand is actually actively wounded, um, like right, you, and yeah. I guess right. Um, anyway, I I don't know if you want mm. me to keep. I, I can probably just keep riffing on that. But um. <laughs> oh my gosh, another riffer! <laughs> You're kidding that's funny. me. I I say oh, riff geez. all the time, and Andrea gives me such a hard time for it. I'm like, that's what we're doing. We're riffing. Like we're we're talking about is. something that yeah. we're. I'm excited about it. You know, it's a riff. <laughs> it's a riff. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a couple of times where Jamo has said it like too, too many times in like okay. two sentences. So then it just becomes Ooh. a problem. Yeah. Uses that as a noun and a verb. Feeling, yeah, exactly. Feeling very exactly. called out right now. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Okay. Yeah, fair well. enough. And then riffing on a riff. Adjective, yeah. <laughs> that was super riffy. <laughs> riffing on anyway. a riffy riff. Yeah. Oh, brother. <laughs> I. I just wonder, like, and that we kind of brought this up with our last um, guest that we had on talking about the same subject, but I, I wonder what your take is, because um, you kind of maybe touched on it in a way, but maybe to dig deeper into it, um, when, I like, I'm finding lately, probably more than lately, but it's just kind of more apparent on my mind lately, that we're sort of lumped together in this. And I think you, I like this idea of branding um, under mm. the brand, under the umbrella of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I think that, I mean, I don't know if it's bold to say, but I feel like that there are certain either churches or denominations or whatever you want to look at it as that are doing the specific quote unquote harms to people um, and so if, if commons is this place, sort of the last resort, the, the last stop on your way out of Christian hood, shall we call it? Um, or is that maybe, am I missing? No, no. I, I would just qualify that, that, okay. that specific piece to say, I don't, I don't think we, I don't think that's necessarily how we see ourselves mm-hmm. all the time, no. but, we want, but we do, I would say we do want to try to be a community that for those kinds of people in the world, we to could be the place them. where those people yeah. could land. Yeah, 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 for uh, sure. Totally. I don't, I don't like our church is anything but a collection of those people. No, sorry, right? I didn't mean it that I, way. Either. I know, I know. Um, but yes, no, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess in just the question is, like, what do you, how do you talk to those people? Like, if those are the people that are coming to you with their qualms and their woes and their frustrations with the church, um, how do you, how do you have that conversation with them that like not all churches are the same and, you know, perhaps there are some, um, facilities, buildings, however you want to view it that are reconciling or trying to reconcile differently. Um, so I guess for, for like a super lax way of saying it, like how, how can you make it so that we don't get lumped in the same group together. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I just, I guess I have conversations with people and I, I mean, for some background, perhaps I grew up in the church, um, like all the way through and then probably 
I feel like a lot of people could say the same thing, but pandemic hit and your attendance drops and then it just gets really hard to get back into going. Um, Mm -hmm. But recently over the summer, I started going to a new church again um, with my daughter, my one daughter, and uh, realizing that putting myself back into the church is potentially causing hurt and harm to some friends that I have because I'm sort of reattaching myself with that place, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's not quite like dating one of your best friend's ex-boyfriend who caused all these toxic <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah. Right. It's not yeah. quite yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, um, that's, that's a, bit of a false equivalency um though i do think that some churches are bad they're like the equivalent of a bad ex-boyfriend um and i do and i do think that some people have objectively um awful atrocious trauma that um i wouldn't expect them to um to close the gap Right. Um, they, they, they're, they're right to, um, they're right to hold whatever distance they need to, to be and feel, um, and live a safe life. Yeah. Um, um, I think that can be true. I can sort of give people that license. I think that's important. While I also think it's, um, it's also possible to give your life, you know, like you as a friend to give your life to something that you think is going to offer meaning. And to, mm-hmm. and also, I mean, this is all, I mean, this is really comes down to how we live. So if you live your life in a way that is an open and clear critique of the actions that hurt your friends, mm-hmm. um, then, th- then they can continue to hold the distance and, and be bitter and, and frustrated with the way the church is in their memory and in those painful right. things while simultaneously be open to like your experiences and the things that bring, bring meaning. I think that that's certainly mm-hmm. true. So then let's expand it to what you were sort of offering in your earlier question. Um, it is a bit of a tricky thing to live in the world and to be associated with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To be associated with um, those who also claim to be part of the same tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I guess probably the best thing to do is, is just tell you sort of how I parse mm-hmm. some of that. I don't, which it, is not prescriptive. It's just how, how I survive in the world uh, and how I survive maybe working yeah. at a church. Um, I mean, one of the big things for me is I don't, I don't spend, um, I don't spend time on social media, like um, interacting with those I don't disagree with or yeah. those I, I like I, yeah. uh, and I do that for my own mental health. Yeah. Um, I also, in saying that, openly admit that I had somebody, it was lovely, I had a conversation just a couple weeks ago where somebody said, um, those spaces, digital forums, blogs, um, well, blogs are old now, but uh, <laughs> podcast spheres, um, 
people doing Substack and writing for Patreon and these kinds of things, these are the spaces where marginalized voices are now able to gather a following. Mm-hmm. And then they yeah. and then they end up sort of, you know, being antagonized in those spheres by people who disagree with them, right? And right. I don't I don't operate in those spheres. I don't mm-hmm. I don't use my social media personally to um, you know, to tweet and retweet and and take exception to now there i know people who do in the work that i do but this is one of the ways that i um i i don't choose to interact with those i clearly disagree with in that way um that said i do think that um it is important sometimes to be really clear about the distinctions between um our particular community and those in our local constituency or maybe you know something happening more broadly Mm -hmm. to comment and to be clear about oh no there is some difference um and one of i think one of the healthiest ways to do that is to use a bit of a historical imagination so instead of saying like just as an example that Commons Church thinks one way about an issue and that church over there you know 10 blocks from here (laughs) you know they are they're wrong they're wrong i mean and this is actually this uh i want to say one of the first times this is not new it's actually we see this kind of thing happening in the scriptures for instance in the book of galatians when um paul writes and says like uh oh hey by the way you guys may not have heard how i saw peter doing these things basically excluding gentiles just so you guys know i confronted him to his face like he basically calls peter out in his letter to mm. his friends which is the equivalent of what I saw a prominent pastor do, and it still happens. But this is like 15 years ago. I see a pastor get a get a video that he's somebody he disagreed with, and during a sermon, he's like, "Hey, let's just play this," and then he plays <laughs> that, right, oh, and then just proceeds to tear the other guy's sermon apart right. as a way yeah. of asserting a particular worldview. Sure. And and to me, that that's actually not particularly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, it's it's delocalized, so you're not you're you're basically sort of trying to trying to act as though the church hasn't always had internal diversity, and then you're also offering this like artificial sense in which two people who probably won't ever meet and probably represent very different mm-hmm. parts of the Christian story, you're acting as though you you have anything to say to each other, and of course, right. I mm, think there are yeah. times. Um, where where we do maybe if, if certain certain people in certain places, either whether an office they hold, like I mean we see this in the Catholic Church all the time. The Pope speaks to all kinds of things, right? There's reasons that he does that, but uh, doesn't speak to everything, and it's a little bit. Uh, I think it's just disingenuous to think like we have to correct all of the errors. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. If we yeah. spend more time trying to correct other people's errors than we do trying to live an alternative representation of the story we believe in. Like my job, my job is actually to live with integrity and to love selflessly the people that I actually have right. contact with. Mm, if I'm yeah. worried about how my followers perceive that, and if I'm more worried about gathering that following than I am about serving, like I actually think that's an anathema. It's, it's an anathema to people who serve in, in roles like me. But I think it, it can just for people who just mm-hmm. live and work in the world and you want to be connected in some way to the Christian tradition, like, like 
I guess, don't worry about what some pastor in Dallas is like. Don't worry about if he's, you know, mm-hmm. saying, I mean, if you happen to know that they're, for instance, if they're um, saying horrible things about people of color, or if they're saying horrible things about the need for changes in abortion law and you, and you have really strong, alter- like, I think you can share those opinions, especially if you know people who are in those marginalized or targeted sure. groups, you will be hurt yeah. by those. I think to mm-hmm. make your opinions known, but do that with your people, the people right. you know, right. um, because those are the people that you have the greatest opportunity to actually be an agent for change, mm-hmm. especially if your advocacy is rooted in your care. Right. That's well, and that's and that's the model of Jesus, really. Like yeah. he, he was in the streets with people. He was meeting people's practical needs. He was engaging a relationship, and then hmm. what he did and said spoke more than you know him speaking against the Pharisees or speaking against the Sadducees of his day and like the religious leaders. Like what he did for people and with people and to people was more important than. You know, then the discourse and the disagreements that he was having with people of his day. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's probably it was probably more important in terms of forming a movement. I think the the story that gets told um, again, different go- different gospel authors actually tell the story differently, right? And so, um, yeah. I mean, he certainly was antagonistic to those who thought differently, but not actually, that's not even, that's not quite fair. I don't think even more Jesus confrontational, was, but like not aggressive. No, not even that. I don't, I, I think, I think most of us don't understand that like Jesus is operating within a, like a rabbinic imagination of how to read scripture. So when Jesus says things like you've heard it said, but I say to you, mm. this is like, that's not Jesus is like, I was just about to say the word riff. And I'm not going to, <laughs> right. That's, that's not, that's not unique to Jesus. Right. 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 Jesus is actually operating within a well-established forum and almost like a um, programmatic way of speaking. Like that's how you would establish yourself as a rabbi. You would, you would say, this is how the text has been read, or this is how you've always understood it. And I'm offering you an alternative. And what's interesting is that most of the alternatives that he was offering were, <laughs> they ultimately placed him uh, and his ongoing mission in a place of low service and ultimately like dissent. It's not mm. like, hey, you've heard it said, but my team is the best team. <laughs> like, right, no. right. <laughs> He actually would say, you've heard it said, and I want to offer you a way of dissent that just might save you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to, and, and how is it going to save you? Well, I, I am going to model it for you. Mm. If you, if you follow the way I live into Jameson's point, if you'll follow the way that I live in the world, you might just mm. find that it saves you and that it saves. And like, what does save mean there? I don't mean in an ethereal sense. I mean that the world will change around you. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which is, which is a way of talking about church hurt, but instead of saying, how do we keep it from happening? We let's talk about it from an affirming or an affirmative action. 
Um, like, how can I correct it? Well, how about I just live so that I don't hurt people? How do we live so that we don't hurt people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's actually way more interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, than pointing to all the churches that I think are hurting other people. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Unless, that's, that's unless. It's way, way more humble and healing too. Like, like who, yeah, who are we to think that we have any understanding of who or what the divine is? And then... <laughs> You know, who are we to think that our theology of what the divine is allows us to treat people terribly, you know? So just treat people well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think there are lots of sincere people in the world who who think that they are showing care right. by, by saying things that are hurtful. Um, there's not... There's not and do you know what I mean when I say that? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean that there are segments of the Christian community, and it, this this would be around the world, who would say, "No, it's I. It's because I love you that I tell you that you are out of line, and you're going to end up in the bad place." Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I think I sort of grew up around a tradition of of a Christian expression that was sort of rooted in that kind of. Um, it, when we were together, that's the way we would talk. We would say, no, it, we, we don't, uh, we don't want people to end up in the bad place. So we need to like name, name the things that they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is I think most, we, 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 <laughs> our true theology is always betrayed or relayed in our action. Right. And I think most people don't actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat and had coffee with a buddy of mine one time and we were talking a little bit about this. And, and I said, if we, if we actually think that like we believe and trust in a, in a divine uh, character that that's going to send people into a, like a conscious torment or just whatever version of hell you want to use. Yeah. If, if, if that, and I, and I got quite emotional with him. I said, if that were true, we should be standing at the counter where people are like buying their coffee and like grabbing them by, by the shoulders like, I don't think we think that just, just so, and what is it that we don't think? It's not that we don't, it's, we, it's not that we think, um, don't think that people make mistakes. It's not that we don't think that there is injustice. Hmm. It, it's maybe that we, maybe we, we aren't quite sure that that's what God does hmm. or that that's the kind of yeah. God that we're following. Um, and I'm sure people would have to answer that question for themselves. Um, and I'm sure people, some people could do quite eloquently, but um, I think, I think most people walking around the world, they, they don't really, they, they don't hurt people by telling them that is maybe right. what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Most of, yeah. most of the wounding that the church does is in the way it takes advantage, the way it uses power to abuse um, the way it, the church hurts people lots by creating expectations and then not being able to fulfill it. Sometimes because we're human and we can't fulfill everybody's expect. Sometimes because we we overpromise. Mm. Like there's right. It's, yeah. It's not all. I wonder how much of it is like that sort of like that idea of fear, right? Like I mm. feel like like I grew up mm. in the. I don't know, movement, if that's what you want to call it. I don't know. Um, but you know, where you're 
sort of quantifying and qualifying sins and this one is worse than that one and so if you do that one you're really bad but like I don't know like I can't think of a time where I actually saw or felt or received any sort of call out if I did one of them I either just like hit it so well to make sure no one found out or um you know, like I just, I feel like there's, it's just like fear mongering, right? Like mm-hmm. you're getting into this territory where, yeah, like, like you said, like, yeah, but being, um, what did you say, betraying yourself, right? Like you're taking it away from yourself of actually calling that person out for whatever it is that they're doing or not doing. But I don't, I can't actually think of a time when I've seen it happen. So it's, it's almost this act of threat, mm. like threatening someone. If you do that, then you're going to be in the bad place. But there's not, I haven't actually seen a follow through with any of it. Just like, just, if you actually believe that this one sin was worse than this other one, then you would probably treat it as such. And you would have a conversation to the extent that that sin was worse than this other sin. Like if that's mm. what you actually practically believed that would show up in how you engage with that person that quote mm-hmm. unquote sinned worse than this sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Not seeing that, of course there's, there's a dissonance there that you see. There's a cognitive dissonance, not only with what you're being taught, but also in the other person with what they believe versus how they actually act on it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's actually a a helpful way to, like, if we want to think about how the church, like, has hurt and and continues to hurt, is, like, to just try to be as honest as possible about how that's happening. Um, Because I think it's easy to, um, hmm, just trying to think if this is true for me or if I've seen it in people, but... I think it's easy for people to be disillusioned and frustrated with the church. It's a, it's, it's a human, it's a community and there, and there are plenty of reasons to be hurt by it mm. or to be, um, to be let down and disappointed by it. hundred mm. um, percent. But, but it, it, it often I think takes some time to sort of untie the knots about what was actually happening there. Um, like sometimes some of the some of the harm that happens, it's so egregious, and it's maybe illegal, or 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 it's open. Mm. But I think even something as simple as um, Andrea, you were mentioning, like one of the things I think that happened during pandemic restrictions and shutdowns is some people some people ended up realizing, like, oh, those church people aren't my people. Mm. <laughs> like th- those aren't the people who. A, I wanted to create a small, tiny circle with, mm-hmm. but then also those those weren't the people who checked in on me. Mm-hmm. It was like yeah. it was like the the the, per, the it was the woman on my you know my team at the volley dome who like sent me a text and like hey I, I remember you saying your mom got sick like I think I think some of the strands of social networks that were natural for lots of church people you just realize like, Oh, I, I guess I don't need those people or those people don't need me. Mm. And so it's yeah. not that people are like super bummed out about the church, but the, but the, but 
if you, if you just like, there's a bit of a nod there around, yeah, but the, the people let me down. They didn't show yeah. up for me. Yeah. And that's, that's actually, that's something that we should all, you know, do, we got to do the work on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think there's no, such a huge problem with some churches too, is that there's, there's this rallying around, and this, this is more within my experience and other church churches that I've been a part of too. It's like, if you don't believe this thing, then you're not part of us. And there's that tribal mentality of like, our theology is this. And if you don't ascribe to all of these theological points, then we can't really have you here as a member. And it's maybe not stated as publicly as that, or as, um, as like cut and dry as that, but that is, that is the sentiment. And that's the, the feeling that people get when they start asking questions or they have doubts, which is a completely normal part of being a human is having questions. Like certainty is not something to ever hold up. Right. But yeah, like as soon as you, as soon as you wrap your identity as a group around an idea to the exclusion of everything else, then you get that, that separation. Well, and also too, like even just in how you said that though, it, as it being an error or whatever of the church, like, is it actually an error of the church or is it of the people that you have networked with in that church? Like, Mm. is it the church's fault that no one reached out during the pandemic? Is it the church's fault or is it the people inside of that church? And that's, that's where I think we get sort of this, like, um, yeah we're like a bit mixed up and that's how then everyone's lumped together under one umbrella of the church, as opposed to it being actually my small group within my church, you know, my right. community group, my, yeah. it, it's not the church. And I think that's kind of maybe where I get uncomfortable because I don't want to be lumped into the church. I want, I want to be the person or strive to be the person who is reaching out to say, how are you doing this week? Or how's it going after last week? This not happened. Um, but if we get into the habit of saying the church in these situations, then that's mm. where this like continued um, relationship of, of the whole umbrella of the church right. becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. Honestly, yeah, it's that, I mean, that generalization versus the individualization, mm-hmm, like the, mm-hmm. the church as an entity versus, you know, the church down the road. Yeah, or or even the church down the road versus that pastor that came and had a conversation with me over a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, I mean that that kind of thinking is just intrinsic. I think uh, both psychology and social psychology talk about that sort of like grouping. Mm-hmm. And we, we do, we do that for lots of reasons. One of the reasons is just like CPU outputs. Like our brain kind of has to do that at some level, just to manage all the tasks and manage mm-hmm. all of the social interactions. When you move from group to group, especially in the modern mm-hmm. sort of world, it's, the only way to live in it is you do kind of have to quickly sort people into groups. And, and, and that does mean that we, it does mean that we group people unfairly sometimes. And it also means that we're unfairly and, and Andrew, you've perfectly summarized it. We 
we have to do that in order to like live in the world and we hate it when it happens mm-hmm. to us. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's, a, that's actually a really, I mean, again, if, if, if I'm talking to somebody who's been um, mistreated or experienced like to, to try to get to the bottom as much as possible of what's, what lies behind mm-hmm. like, and, and, and who, mm-hmm. um, and that's not that like, that's not easy. So, um, that, I mean, I can understand why there's, there's lots of us walking around. We just, we sort of carry those things and we, um, I mean, it's, (laughs) we, we started by using the analogy of like a a bad relationship that sort of comes apart, you know, um, like processing our relationships, like most of us need therapy for that. Um, <laughs> and I, what's interesting yeah. is I don't know how many people seek therapy for their separation from faith communities, mm. um, but they, but they should mm. um, partly because so that they can come to a place where they can name what was wrong while simultaneously humanizing the person or group that did it to them. Because if you walk away and you say, well, those, and like, I just want to use expletives, like, uh, those terrible people there, that's not always going to be the kind of perspective that helps you heal. Whereas mm. if you can say what they did to me, I, I don't ever want to experience that again. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody should experience mm-hmm. it, but there's probably some reasons that they did it. And it was probably rooted in their own brokenness. Mm. Um, right. Like that's the only way to become a wider, more expansive, more gracious and compassionate mm. human being. Um, which I think is, just something to keep in mind as people, you know, like we're all in spheres around faith communities and maybe, maybe, maybe we can help steer, maybe we can steer ourselves, but then also help some others. Like, Hey, this seems to be really bothering you. Like you're disproportionately angry about something that happened in a community that you're not, you haven't been there for months or, you Mm. know, like, have you ever like thought about processing that? Do you want to talk about it? (laughs) Anyway. That's huge, man. Well, it could be, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just thinking about how that relates to my own experience. And like, mm. I still definitely deal with that. Like a lot of resentment and a lot of anger to a place that I have not attended in over a decade, like well over a right. decade, you know? But that's, yeah, really like I'm, yeah, kind of feeling called out about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which or, again like, is, let's is change a good the language. Thing that you talk, but that that's something that you talked about too. Is like that honesty, right? Like being right. able to say that, being able to have that honesty. That okay, yeah, that's something that resonates with my experience, and that's something mm-hmm. that I have to work on, for sure. Yeah, I, to me, I want to use the language. It's like it's less call out, like less about getting in your grill <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah, and and more like it's like that's an invitation. And, and I'm just going to use theological language. You don't have to like it. <laughs> but, like it's, it's, it's invitation and all invitation, I would think, comes to us by the Spirit. Like, because the Spirit is ever and always inviting us uh, towards a more Jesus-centered way to live in the world. And that is a, that is a way that's rooted in, in our own healing and our own restoration and in the forgiveness of others and in the transformation of our communities and our neighborhoods and our homes. Like... So anytime we feel invited to see ourselves as we actually are, and we feel invited to name what's true of others, like 
I don't know, like a Christian theological imagination says that 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 is the spirit at work right there in that moment, mm-hmm. right, helping me to see the world as it is, um, and I and then I can step toward it. I don't have to be afraid. Anyway, so you you can say you feel called out. I'm cool with that, but I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Uh, okay, one one other thing too that like, I'm thinking about the last episode that we did sort of in this mini series as well with our other guests. We were talking about um, like the mega church versus maybe the local church or the, the small church and differences there. And like I've been part of a mega church. I've been part of a church that has very mega church like mentality and behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've, I'm semi-familiar with the idea of how that type of system operates. But yep. one thing that, that she said on, on a previous episode that we talked about, um, and also during our episode, is that is, is just her faith in the local church. Um, Your and, other guest said this? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> our other guest, yeah. I, I was, as we were having that conversation and as I was listening to another episode of a different podcast that she was on, I was thinking about how commons to me at least exemplifies what it looks like to be the local church and to be a church that is in the community and of the community and for the community while still being, um, you know, this place where we can gather around the person of Jesus. So, what what does what does the idea of like being that local church maybe mean to you in contrast to something like a mega church model? Hmm. Yeah, could say lots about that. <laughs> um, and we're out of time. Thanks, thanks for coming on, Scott. Much yeah, appreciated. This is great. This is great. <laughs> uh, hmm. One of the first things that sort of comes to mind is um, that we, the megachurch or churches, churches that are large, um, this is actually um, a recent phenomenon. Um, effectively, you can go back about 100 years and most Christians in Canada and the United States, really anywhere in the world, would never gather with more than about two or 300 people ever in their life. Um, it's only as we see urbanization, suburbanization occur, mm-hmm. which these are, these are factors that began in the early 20th century. And by the middle, middle of the 20th century, you start to see places like New York, New York's going to have congregations of sometimes two, 3000 people. Um, so those would be exceptions. But when you see Billy Graham come along and start doing crusades, now we have examples earlier in American history in the renewal movements that would happen where they would have these massive revivals and there'd be big gatherings. But unless people were going to a sporting event or going to a political rally, right? Yeah, you didn't, you didn't go to church with thousands of people. Hmm. And so part of what, answering this question requires is it requires us to be honest about how this is actually pretty recent and there's not really a model for how we're supposed to right handle yeah. this now what's also interesting is that historically 
as churches, some churches have gotten very, very large. The majority of people have been in churches, like more than 50% of people have generally had the experience of being in a community that's 250 or 100 and lower, which is actually, mm-hmm. most churches are actually on that side of the scale. But just in the last 10 years, it's tipped over where effectively what's happening, we can see, is that churches that are in that sort of middle size are starting to go away. Mm-hmm. And it's churches that are quite large that can offer a lot of services and support Um can offer some diversity. People can find their people. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Like if you, if you go to church in your little neighborhood, unless you live in a neighborhood where everybody's the same, which also coincidentally is also happening, yeah. um, right. which is why <laughs> some smaller churches yeah. are actually doing just fine. Cause they're a collection of people who are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, there, th- that middle bracket is sort of slowly. And I think this is, this is, I, I want to say it's particularly true in Canada, but Anyway, this is just something to be honest about sociologically right. um, is that like some people who, who really can't stand mega churches um, and th- there might be good reasons to be bothered by a particular one or bothered by the actions of a particular group. Fair enough. But th- that's a really new social phenomenon and, and we're not anywhere close to seeing it go away mm. um, because uh, well, I mean, there's some pretty strong social forces um, that uh, that lend itself to those um, those kinds of gatherings. They're they're profound and they're powerful. Um, there's something about um, being part of a collective that is at that is spe- uh, that scale, that volume, that that kind of visibility, especially in a culture where religion is increasingly marginalized and and. Andrea, to our earlier conversation, as Christianity is increasingly like is viewed with a hermeneutic of suspicion in the culture, Mm. right? Especially here in Canada, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, isn't it the church that's like, weren't they involved in those (laughs) residential schools? Like Mm -hmm. it, it, the the Mm -hmm. surrounding culture doesn't necessarily have a lot of respect for things that get big and then have the name of Jesus slapped on them. Mm -hmm. And so it's just important for us to know that now personally i yeah my my sort of personal ethic um i i'm a firm believer that the scriptures um which scriptures themselves are like an embodied thing it's a text in the world and the scriptures have only ever made sense because they were part of an embodied an actual group of people who came together and read an actual mm. book mm. And, and I think that's actually what the church is meant to be ever and always, which is why I think um, I'm, I'm not, I don't have an ax to grind against mega churches in principle, as long right, as yeah, they're, yeah. as long as they're located. And as long as they're asking their people, the people that they shape, the imaginations that they're fueling with, mm-hmm. with their programming, with their messages, if they're encouraging people to be active and embodied in their city, in their neighborhood, in their community, um, I think that's, that, that's the way of Jesus. It has the potential to be that way. Mm. Um, I am increasingly suspicious about spiritual religious experiences that are what I, I use the language like delocated or delocalized. Um, it's why during pandemic life, uh, when, you know, we're doing live streams and I'm talking to people in Houston who are watching Thomas church and I'm just like, right. uh, yeah. 
So we, we would care for those people. Um, but we'd also be pretty clear, like we can't, like if you want to watch messages, that's okay. But like we, we can't really like, can't be members of a church together. Like that doesn't Mm. actually make any sense. Um, so I don't know if that gets to some of what you're thinking about. I, I had, I, you know, like your other guests, like I, I, my greatest hope is in um, the local responses of people who are compelled by the way of Jesus to make a difference mm. where they are. Um, mm. I think, I think that's, um, yeah, I think communities like this, there's a lot of history of these communities doing harm. There's also profound examples of them changing the world. Yeah, mm. of course. Um, right? Like that, like, we, and I think that's an, like, that's a good, um, it's a, it's a good way to push back on some of the deconstruction that people need to do. Like, let's name what's been done wrong, but let's not forget about the mm-hmm. just the simple humble ways that people love their neighbor mm-hmm. um and and then when you think like we live in a culture where like uh, public access to health care which of course there's all there's a lot of tension around this it's not equal access but it's public mm-hmm. right um like this this idea was actually sparked by a by a christian person who thought yeah. that we needed to create a structure um that would provide support for people across the social strata. Um, right. And so right. you can, you can call that socialist as some people want to. Um, you can also just call it Christian mm-hmm. um, b- because it was, you know, the person who sort of came up with this idea and like tried to help push it through. And it was actually agreed upon by a large number of people changed, changed our, you know, changed our culture. Um, and that's just like, sort of like a, like a simple embodied example uh, of how, um, yeah, like local people made a local difference. Uh, actually right. local people yeah. made, made like actually had this broader yeah. um, impact and that's, which is why that's a, maybe even a healthy way to not necessarily always place a dichotomy between like big organizations and small ones, because mm. some small organizations can have yeah. massive impact. Um, you know, when it comes to the practices of like, how do, how do mega churches build community? Um, how do they care for people? Um, like they that gets really nitty gritty. I think some, some of them do a great job. Some of them don't, uh, some of them mishandle resources. Some of them are really good at using their resources to make a difference, but, but that's not, that's not, disproportionately true of mega churches versus small, lots of small churches misuse their funds and Mm -hmm. abuse and abuse people. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like it, it, what, what, what is different is the size and the scale. Right. Which is why I think we have a tendency to, you know, we exaggerate. And in some cases it is, it is more erroneous. Like, you know, you're, if you're stealing millions and millions of dollars uh, or you're mismanaging, like that's, that's a big deal. We need to name that. Anyways, and and like Mm -hmm. sometimes the bigger ship is harder to steer for sure. And the the smaller ships Mm -hmm. are more agile and they can navigate whatever is happening in the culture. They can navigate what's happening in the world a little more efficiently for sure. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. and I I love how you just broke that down, that it's not about big versus small. It's about what your actual practical Mm -hmm. impact is really. Mm -hmm. And like that, man. That, that answer to me just exemplifies so much of what I view Commons Church to be and how 
commons exists in Calgary and how mm. commons tries to meet the needs practically of people like having the pantry on the side of the building for people to come and just get food and get whatever it is that they need. Um, mm -hmm. And something that I've appreciated about commons church for so long is that especially with so many different theological interpretations of different different passages or different things that Jesus said, like there's often a presentation of this is what the passage reads. This is one interpretation used by this group. This is the historical context in which this passage was written. Um, here is this person's commentary on it. Here's a thought in a similar vein from maybe a Buddhist teacher. But and then this is maybe our interpretation. And it's it's put out there as a platter. Like take from this buffet what you will. Because yeah. there's truth and wisdom to be found in all of it. Instead of saying, this is what Jesus said, this is what he meant by it, and that's it. Right? It, it's way more gracious and open-handed, and I think you've said it a few times, is honest. Like, this is, this is how we can live in the world as people that follow the person of Jesus. Um, this is how we can be light to people. This is how the church has been light to people and how it's maybe not been light to people and it it's that open-handedness and that honesty to say we are doing our best and maybe we don't have it all figured out but we're trying to live according to the person of jesus and that 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 to me just exemplifies what commons as a community really exists for i mean i hope that's true um <laughs> i uh I, I do like I think we I think we do try to unapologetically shape people in the way of Jesus um, right so in that way in that way it's not an open buffet right <laughs> and, yeah yeah but 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 I guess maybe to just sort of feed back or reflect what I heard you say um, I think by presenting a buffet, because I, I think that's, we, we do try to do that, present different um, perspectives. Why I think that's important is because it teaches people how to discern and think. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and I think that's probably the skill that I want to shape in people more than complete <laughs> agreement, more than complete agreement. It's not about adherence uh, across all lines and uh, in all situations. What, what mm. we want to do is we want to try to think with some more breadth as a way of testing and discerning together. Um, right. that's, that's one of the ways that we guard ourselves against narrow, hurtful ideas. Um, not to say that all narrow ideas are hurtful, but if we, don't, if we're, if we act as though there are only this many ideas, mm. that's that's a way where we could get, you know, we could get out of line pretty quickly, especially when you're going to talk about the Christian tradition that has a lot of diversity in it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, critically thinking is an important skill to mm -hmm. have. It's not taught yeah. very well in many places. <laughs> so well, we don't, we don't even really teach it in school. You could, no. you could say, Oh, absolutely uh, not. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like Andrew's so, a teacher. I mean, <laughs> uh, 
not part of the curriculum. (laughs) Yeah, well, I wasn't I wasn't hating on teachers. Oh no, I didn't feel it. No. I owned it. I know it's a thing. I grew up, did not have critical thinking skills implemented. So for sure. Very aware. I think I think it's a I mean, it's something that in some ways the younger generation of teachers are trying to implement more than previous Mm. years of teachers but that might be a bold thing to say um but i think yeah like it is it is an important skill for many reasons not just Mm -hmm. you know for your faith or anything like that like yeah it's important (laughs) right for many aspects of life so it's good yeah yeah i mean yeah so i mean that's something we aspire to as a community 100 percent. to jameson's point i Mm. um which is good. I think it's important being part of the Christian community to be able to get sort of the lens of the church put on so that you can learn to discern for yourself. And, mm. you know, it's important. Mm-hmm. It's kind of part of, I feel like so many people, their like faith journey eventually comes to this head where you know, you hear them say like, well, I wanted to make my faith my own. And mm-hmm. I think mm, having, yeah. having a church or a foundation where you are, you know, um, taught to, to be able to critically think about why you do believe what you believe is important for sure. Yeah. Instead mm-hmm. of just being told what to believe and why it's the only right interpretation. Like mm-hmm. here's, here's what the church has thought about this idea for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think you'll, you'll authentically live out your faith. You will more authentically live your faith out. Yeah. Or, or maybe even um, just slightly more open way to say that is that there's, there's, there's a, there's potential. Totally. If we we choose to try to be honest and we choose to try to, um, Yeah try to make space for multiple perspectives. Mm-hmm. I think this is so true in a, in a globalizing world. So yeah. Right. Um, and with, you know, the understanding of how critical thinking or critical theory, um, critical awareness of history and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. That means, that means that we have to constantly, and I mean, people, it's interesting. There's a, there is a response for some people to say, well, I, I, I can't really do that with the message of the scriptures. Like the scriptures just, they say what they say and mm. we have to just, we just have to tell people that. Um, and, and I can understand to a degree what that person yeah. means when they say that. Mm. Um, but I think if, yeah, we, we do have to use some care. Um, we're mm. going to carry this story around in the world. We need to use some care in the way that it's been told before. Mm-hmm. yeah and we yeah. need to we need to take some care you know if you're a person that looks and carries a body like mine around in the world i need to use some care in the way that when i say this story it carries different weight than when somebody who's in a different body um, sure right yeah. um yeah. and i don't think that that compromises you know for the person who's concerned about us like leaving the core message of scripture behind by being so critical about it like I'm, I'm not dropping that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like I think yeah. there's, a, I think there is a way to be, yeah. to be, you know, cisgender white guy in the world, and 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 actually be like Jesus. Imagine that. 
It doesn't mean I look like Jesus and I have long hair and a beard. That's not yeah. what I mean. <laughs> I mean, what would it what would it look like for someone who looks like me to be to serve like Jesus? Sure. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I feel like by being critical, and by by opening up my community and those I love to multiple perspectives. I don't think I'm losing the core message, especially if I'm doing my best to like live in line with who Jesus was. We always ask one question at the end for everybody as well. Um, and I think just based on our conversation, my thought of how to ask it is, um, what's something that you wish people knew about what it means to be a Christ follower? Hmm. Are you asking me that? Yeah. <laughs> not, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we, we always ask like you know what's one thing you wish people knew about blank but I, I think just within the context of what we've talked about that's that's probably the thing that I'm that I keep coming back to is like what what does it what, yeah what's one thing that you wish people knew about what it means to be a Christ follower in in this weird and wild world right Well, in the world that I live in, where, where the vast majority of people don't even know the story of Jesus, um, yeah, I think I, le- I would maybe use this language. Um, like part of why I'm, I'm still an insider in this tradition is because I, in looking at other traditions um, in searching um, for a way to make meaning in the world, I, I haven't found a more compelling and selfless image of what the world could look like than what I mm. see embodied in the person of Jesus. Mm. And, and I just think there's so many people that don't know that that's actually what the story is about. Right. Yeah. Um, the story of Jesus has been used um, as justification for for empires and powers and capitalist gain and mm. um, and I think the only way that the only way that it can be corrected is if people who claim the name of Christ live lives that are marked by decidedly different factors than those. Like, how do you, how do you expect that the world can get picture of Jesus if his followers are just swept up in the capitalist enterprise? Like how, how else are they supposed to catch vision of what the world's supposed to look like? I don't know. Yeah. Right. Which is not, which is not, which is not me saying that, you know, every person I know that, you know, 
invest in the stock market is going to hell. Right? <laughs> that would be a gross oversimplification. It's to, it's to yeah. say how how is it going to change if we don't offer an alternative view and 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 offer an alternative view? Like how how are you and I supposed to do that? Well, I should probably just ask myself where I live. I, I, maybe I can't change legislation, but what could I change where I am? Mm. And um, because I think that's that, that's what I want people. I want people to you know to know what's what's actually at the center of the Christian tradition, and it's mm. the person of Jesus mm. who lived a life that that did everything it could to not harm. And did everything it could to show us the image of the divine that wouldn't would rather be the victim than the victor. That's that's the center of the story. And anybody who says otherwise, in ah man, I I'd say ah, I think I think I'm not sure that's the Jesus I follow, the one that you're espousing. I yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know if we're following the same person. Hmm. And I hope that's I hope that's borne out in the way I live. And it's not just what I think. I hope it's Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. Well, thanks, Scott. This is Thank man, you guys. I could, I could talk about this kind of stuff for hours. And I know we have <laughs> talked about this for hours over many hours over many beers. <laughs> and I can't wait for the next one. But yeah, yeah thanks for thanks for taking the time and uh, of course and sitting down with us and having a really good conversation. And, uh, thanks for your curiosity. And we appreciate it. Uh, it was lovely. <laughs>